That's it, the FTS, the island in the desert. This is the Regular Pastor Podcast, a podcast devoted to regular pastors and regular churches. My name is Landon Coleman. I am a regular pastor here at Emmanuel Baptist Church in Odessa, Texas. Today, I am excited to be joined by the one and only Warren Camp. Uh, if that name is not familiar to you, you may have heard him by uh, heard of him as his alter ego, the Baptist Bishop of Fort Stockton. Uh, he is in town in Odessa today, and uh, this podcast is actually going to air a couple of weeks into the future, uh, but it was a good time for us to get together, and so uh, Warren, glad to have you here. Warren is actually the pastor at First Baptist of Fort Stockton, uh, so there you go. Warren, yeah, welcome to the it. podcast. Glad to have you. Yeah, glad to be in the big city. There you go, the big city of Odessa, the that's big right. ODZ. Right. Uh, one of the things we like to do for both of our listening uh, viewers on this podcast is to throw at them a sponsor of the week. And this is not a real sponsor of the week. This is a faux sponsor of the week. We don't actually have a sponsor on this podcast although we're praying about that and dreaming about that. Uh, so we had Corporal Ray's. That's my favorite coffee in Odessa. Very good. What, what did you have? What was it called? It was a dark roast cold brew with a little bit of cream and sugar thrown in that they did. It was called a Louisiana brew. There you go. It was really good. Nice. So we could. it would be easy to throw Corporal Ray's in as our dream sponsor for the day. Yeah. Give me... The best Mexican food in Fort Stockton as a dream sponsor for this episode. Who would it be? Little little house restaurant called Mi Casita. It Mi is Casita. One lady in the front taking orders, one lady in the back making it. Yeah. And it's it's the best. Nice. Yeah. It's affordable. Yeah. Same. You, I mean, it's going to taste the same every time you go. So if I go to Mi Casita in Fort Stockton, what do I order? I get the smothered burrito. Yeah? Yeah. It's just got everything thrown in with queso over the top. <laughs> you had me at queso. That's it. I like it. I like it. So there you go, Mikasita. That will be our uh, dream sponsor for the week. And uh, if they want to sponsor us and throw some free smothered burritos your way, that would be fantastic. That's right. I like it. So uh, both of our listening viewers would like to know a little bit about you. So take a second. Introduce yourself. Tell us about your family, uh, where you're from, your ministry in Fort Stockton, how long you've been there, other ministry things uh, you've been involved in. Tell folks a little bit about who you are. So I guess, I mean, I'm technically from Sanger, Texas. Uh, Sanger. Sanger. You can't say it without sounding Texan. Did, have I ever told you that my great-grandma used to teach in Sanger? No. Did I ever tell you that? No. Yeah. My great-grandmother used to be a teacher one-room schoolhouse in Sanger, Texas, back in the day, yeah. as they like to say. Well, it's it's a little bigger town now. Okay. When I first moved there, there was no stoplight, no McDonald's, none of that. Okay. But I uh, spent fourth grade through graduation there, which would have been, 
I can't remember what year that is, all the way to 2003 when okay. I graduated. So how many people live in Sanger? This is going to be pertinent Ooh. for what we're going to talk about yeah, here in a minute. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I don't know how what the current population is. I honestly haven't really been back since the first few summers in college. Are you talking under 1,000? Are you talking no. under 5,000? Under 10,000? There, there was about five, 6,000 people there okay. whenever I whenever I lived there. There's okay. probably more than that now. They've moved up in, okay. um, in their rankings. Just okay. being north of Denton on I-35, people have moved that way. Gotcha. Okay, so you grew up in Sanger, mm-hmm. and then what? Kind of, I mean, uh, I mean, became a West Texas nomad, uh, which <laughs> I thought was West Texas until I came to Fort Stockton, and now I know I'm really in West Texas. Okay, so, so tell us about that uh, pilgrimage. Yeah, so I went to college and got to run a couple of years at Wayland Baptist University, where okay. I met my wife. What do you mean run? Uh, ran cross country. Okay, you wouldn't know that by looking at my figure now, but. <laughs> I weighed about 122 pounds and uh, ran for a couple of years. Okay, and, uh, and then realized that I wasn't going to go to the Olympics. So what was I doing? <laughs> okay, and uh, but yeah, started serving in a in a church in Plainview, Texas, helping out a couple of friends who were serving on staff there, and then uh, ended up serving in uh, Silverton, Texas, a town of about 400 people. Okay, for uh, about a year and a half, two years, and then moved to the big city. And served five years in Arlington at Fielder Church. And okay. went to a seminary at Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. Okay. And then from there went to Panhandle, Texas. Okay, another small town. A town of about 2,500 people. Okay. And uh, served there for three years as the associate and student pastor. And then have been just over two years in Fort Stockton, Texas as the senior pastor, lead pastor. Awesome. Very, very cool. Uh, you got a staff member here with you in the room. He's yes. not on mic, but he's our uh, live studio audience. This is kind of becoming a theme. I recorded an episode the other day with Tanner House. We had Jake Graves as a studio audience. He said absolutely nothing and made no noise, but he made lots of ugly faces. Mm-hmm. And uh, so introduce our uh, studio audience on the back row for us back there. Yeah, so Isaiah is um, our associate and student pastor. He's been there for over a year now. Uh, we actually met each other in Arlington while serving as a student pastor there. Uh, got to be a part of seeing him uh, come to faith in Christ, baptize him, and then he's been on a journey of his own, being called to ministry even after I left Arlington. And uh, lo and behold, the Lord brought us back together for him to, to come out to West Texas and, and for us to partner together and trying to be a part of what God's doing in revitalizing First Baptist Church, Fort Stockton. Awesome. Very, very cool. Okay, tell us a little bit about your family before we jump in and talk about the big stuff here. Yeah, so this September 19th, we'll, my wife and I will have been married. Uh, Rachel, she's the best. As uh, we were talking about yesterday, she's a saint for putting up with me, uh, if anyone knows me. And then um, we 11 years married. September 19th, together for 15 years. We dated for four years, which we always tell people that was the biggest mistake. We should have gotten married. Dated dated too long? Too long, but we thought that was kind of like the thing to do. Okay. And then, uh, but now we have three children. Hudson is six and a half. Adeline is about to be four. And Owen is six months old, and they are all ours, but also adopted. And uh, those are stories in and of themselves, but we essentially have had them since, I mean, we were in the room for two of their births and have had Hudson since he was seven minutes old. So, That's awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Very cool. Going to adopt any more, or is three, are you good with three? What do you think? Well, I always was like, let's have a dozen, because I loved having, you know, one kid. And then uh, now that we've moved to three kids and gone from man-to-man to zone defense, it has been a game changer. It's, it's way different, isn't it? It's made me feel the age that I am, which is 35. I've always felt younger. 
And so I've been adamant right now that I'm done at three, but the kids keep telling me it's only motivated them to have more babies. And so they want to do another adoption, but it has to be a little girl. Okay. And uh, I told them, no, I said, if God wants it, I mean, he's going to have his way in our family. But right now I don't feel that way. I hear you. And, uh, but they said, don't worry, we're praying for it every night. Hey, I had lunch with a guy today who has 12, soon to be 13 biological children. So it's possible. Oh, I mean, yeah. you you can live with that many. Uh, I my wife and I agree with you. It's a uh, it's totally different playing man to zone, and uh, our experience has been every time we move to a new city, we have a kid, and that's been our story so, so far. I'm not moving. I'm, I guess I'm here forever. That's it. That's Put what, down roots. <laughs> and that's been what's amazing is in Arlington, you know, at a mega church, and then in a town. Um, of 2,500 people at a church of two, 300 people, and then in Fort Stockton, just three completely different settings. Uh, God has provided financially for almost total for all three was almost $100,000 on a single pastor's salary. Only yeah. the Lord can do that. That's awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Very cool. All right. So I hit you up a few weeks back, a few months back. I said, hey, I'd like you to come on the podcast and... Uh, I didn't even know at the time I brought this up to you all of your history in small towns. Uh, But what I wanted to talk to you about, based on the fact that you're in Fort Stockton, you're the pastor at First Baptist Church, uh, wanted to talk to you about pastoring in a small town. Um, I think a lot of what I would term regular pastors probably find themselves maybe as a first pastorate or... Uh, maybe not even as a first pastorate, just as their ministry calling in mm-hmm. a small community. It's not to say there aren't regular pastors in big cities. There certainly are. But there's a lot of them out in maybe more rural areas, more uh, small-town vibe as opposed to larger communities. Right. So let's just start with this. This is very unscientific, but just sort of <laughs> kicking things around. You joked earlier about you came over today to visit the big city, right? Uh, the big city of, you know, like 98,000 people, this sprawling metropolis of Odessa. What is a small town? Let's just think about that right. from a regular pastor perspective. What, how would you even, would you define that numerically? Would you define that culturally? What's a small town? I would definitely define it culturally. I think it's a relative thing because I've been in a town of 400 people, or you had a church that made up a quarter of the town. We were in a town of 2,500 people in Panhandle, Texas, and we had a church of two to 300 people uh, who were members and active there. And now we're in a town of eight—well, on the sign it says 8,500 with oil field is probably, when at its peak, 12, 15,000 people, yep. and a church of you know 80 people. So, I mean, uh, like when we moved from Panhandle to Fort Stockton, even the people in Panhandle— because they live 30 miles outside of Amarillo, still feel relatively close to a quote-unquote bigger city. Yeah. And they were like, how are you going to make it? And I said, well, listen, this town is three times the size of that, four times the size yeah. of Panhandle. It has a McDonald's. Yeah. It, you know, it has a, a Walmart, things that you don't have. So I think it's just kind of a relative thing, because we feel like we're on an island in Fort Stockton, whereas in Panhandle, you almost felt like you were part of Amarillo because right. you were so close. Right. Geography definitely plays into that. I remember when... Brooke and I first moved to Kingfisher, Oklahoma. We were in Frankfort, Kentucky, pastoring there in what I would describe in Frankfort as a rural church, a rural area, not really small town, but more country. Mm-hmm. We moved to Kingfisher, Oklahoma, which is sort of classic small town USA. 
we had some folks over to our house for dinner. They were the first people that joined the church when we moved to town. Mm-hmm. We sat down, we're eating dinner, and the wife asks us, so how are you guys adjusting to life in Kingfisher? It must feel really big to you. And we're, we kind of laughed like she was joking, like it was a sarcasm thing. But for her, it was 100% legit. Kingfisher was by far the smallest town we ever lived in, but it was about 10 times bigger than the town she grew up in. Right. So for her, Kingfisher, Oklahoma, 5,000 people was massive right. and made her feel claustrophobic and uncomfortable. We felt like we were living on, you know, green acres or something like that. Exactly. So there, it is a little bit relative. Geography plays into it. Uh, when I think small town, I tend to think one high school. That's mm-hmm. something that kind of comes go. to mind. Like there's a high school in town. Everybody yeah. goes to that high school. Um, if you wanted to throw a number at it, I'm thinking 15,000 and less. Yeah. Maybe yeah. a little bit remote geographically from a larger community so that you're not really a suburb. Sometimes a suburb just gets sucked into, you know, the DFW or even like you said, Panhandle. Uh, get sucked into the Amarillo, Mm -hmm. you know, type deal. So you're sort of maybe out there on an island a little bit, geographically spread out, one high school. I think think culture has something to do where you're still in a town where the community feels like as a whole, um, the community owns the church almost. Mm. Does that make sense? Like there's Mm. an expectation of the community on all the churches, and there's still that kind of thing that happens. And, And for us, the challenge has been establishing... This church doesn't belong to the community. It belongs to the Lord, and it's placed in the community. Yeah. And I think that's a tough thing for a small town because they kind of have the, you know, old school mindset of everyone's a business on Main Street, and the church is a part of that. I was thinking about this earlier. Growing up in Texas, I have always had the mindset that I am a Texan first and an American second. Mm -hmm. Right, wrong, indifferent. That's just sort of how you get brainwashed sometimes in the state of Texas. And I think sometimes in a small town— Small town identity comes before any other identity. 100%. You know, 100%. I am in this community. I'm from this community. My grandparents are in this community. There's just sort of a a swallowing up of everything else. Yeah. It's a can, desire for like a safe place, yeah, a bubble. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And other places, bigger places are looked at as more dangerous mm-hmm. or more risky or there's yeah. more problems there that we don't have here. Right. Definitely part of the small town. And I think that's being uh, revealed and elevated right now, and I think that's what small towns are having a hard time with, everything that's happening. Right now, meaning COVID, politics, all of it. All of that is kind of, and it's still trying to hold on to that and say, well, that's just out there, and we need to keep retaining what's here as a community versus as an identity in Christ and as a church. How do we... You know, make that distinction. Yeah. So it's it's interesting times. I remember in uh, Kingfisher, this was new to me. You know, we'd go to like a say a high school graduation type thing, a baccalaureate type thing, and they'd introduce a kiddo, and they'd list all the things that they were involved in. And church was always just one of those things. I'm in, mm-hmm. I'm in. You know, this club, that club, Spanish club, this ag. Uh, activity. I do this, I do this. Oh, I'm also at First Baptist, and I'm this, this, this. And it was just sort of a everything that happened in the community church was just part of Mm -hmm. that mix. And I think that's heightened. It's not to say it can't happen in big towns, big cities, 
but I think it's heightened in a small community. 100%. Panhandle was very much like that. Silverton was. And I think where Fort Stockton is right now is there's kind of this weird dynamic happening where it is growing and the culture is almost changing. I feel like Fort Stockton is kind of on that precipice where it's a couple decades behind like a big city Mm. or those kind of things. And they're trying to to get bigger because they are an island and people want it to Mm. to grow. There's kind of, it's interesting because as far as conservative and then you want to talk about liberalism Mm -hmm. politically, there's actually quite an even match there, Mm. even in the town now, just with the way that dynamics are changing. But all that to say, um, that's what like... um, they started a before I got there a Christian school mm. at the at the church because even uh, the reality of the secular world is starting to mm. infiltrate into Fort Stockton, Texas. Where mm. in Panhandle, Texas, they haven't experienced that yet. They're hanging on to that as yeah. long as they can. Yeah. Fort Stockton, those things have already started to crumble. You can yeah. see it. Yeah, very interesting. I, it, you could do a whole episode or series of episodes probably on politics. Um, and how that relates to small-town dynamics and geography in the United States. A lot of interesting stuff to tease out there. Thinking about ministry, and specifically thinking about being a pastor. You have grown up in a small town. You have served in large communities, but you've also done a significant amount of ministry in Mm small-town USA. What's the best part of doing ministry in a small community? from your experience and your perspective? Um, I, I would say that um, at some extent there's not necessarily an expectation in regards to um, what would come with maybe megachurch life. Mm. Um, and so um, the, what I've come to, I mean, as long as, as you come to a place of, you know, um, of, of seeming like you're pretty solid in your faith and you're not trying to do anything too crazy. People are pretty flexible mm. to follow your lead and to do that. And so some of that's pretty freeing and uh, there's no necessarily like an expectation. Like I felt even being a part of a mega church before where you have to meet a numerical goal or do those mm. kind of things. So there is some freedom that comes with that and trying to uh, do things in a way that where you feel led, mm-hmm. um, Convictionally, do you think that's an apathy? Is that an apathy that says we're just a small town, we're just a small mm-hmm. church, we're never going to be big? Or do you think it's just realism that says, man, we ain't trying to be Dallas and we ain't trying to be a mega church? Is it both of those things? Is it one or the other? I what think it's you? a blend, and that's yeah. the that's the negative that comes with that. Is there is that whenever you do try to move into some kind of direction uh, structurally, mm-hmm. and then also trying to just grow into a health, more healthy church and yeah. um, be used, then there becomes this thing where you know things are looking different, and yeah. this is not the church that I grew up in. Yeah. And so th- anywhere that you go, I mean, where I've learned, I mean, you're going to have some of those kinds of battles that are going to weigh on your heart and your mind that you're having to work through and. And I think just anecdotally, it would be undeniably true that big cities, larger communities experience more change than smaller communities. Mm-hmm. And so if you're if you're born and bred small town, you just don't experience the amount or the magnitude of change that maybe larger communities tend to experience mm-hmm. just on a community-wide basis. And so when that begins to happen in your church, it can be very unsettling. Mm-hmm. It's not always just a you're a unspiritual Christian or you're not a mature believer. Sometimes it's just a they haven't experienced change in their life like other folks have from larger communities, larger yeah. towns, and, and that can be unsettling. So I, one of the things I think is a positive, we talked about this uh, over coffee just a little while ago, 
my experience in small town is that um, the quote-unquote ministerial alliance was more viable as a benevolence uh, mechanism mm-hmm. in a community than it is in Odessa. I mean, Odessa is not huge, but Odessa is plenty big enough that you're not going to get all the churches together on the same page right. for how are we going to meet physical needs in our community. Mm-hmm. We we could do that, and we did do it in Kingfisher, Oklahoma, a town of 5,000 people. You could get 15 pastors together. You could come up with a plan. You could pool money, and you could feel good about, hey, we're meeting needs. Uh, we're not sort of overlapping each other in what we're doing. We're not being taken. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, no one's making the rounds to every single church, making out with money here or a gift card here exactly. or a voucher there. Right. And there was value in that. Mm-hmm. Uh, we talked about the downside of a ministerial alliance in a small yes. town and some of the negatives that go with that. Maybe we can get to that in a second. But there is value yeah. in a community being together and churches being together to meet needs in that way. Well, and that's where I think, you know, um, one of the negatives of being in a small town comes with not a lot of um, teaching or intentionality on, on teaching the differences there and mm. how to belong in those between different Between denominations yeah, and Yeah, between denominations, and, and then what the dynamic of those relationships can look like in a healthy way and where they've turned bad. As they're trying to re- navigate those waters and, and re-clear up those waters where they're really muddy. Um, but yeah, no, it's, it is wonderful to get to... Um, because all of the small churches have smaller budgets, but if mm. everyone puts a little bit of money together, you can help yeah. uh, bear the burden of, especially on I-10, uh, travelers coming through, through from California, they break down, they need a place to stay. Like you said, they aren't going around picking up, and, and there are going to be people who take advantage of that. Sure. But learning sure. to do that as a group and say, well, um, this is a way for us to meet this need together. Yeah. What else? Any other perks or things that you really like? I mean, I had a few other things, but anything yeah. else that comes to mind that's a, a positive? Uh, I mean, I love the, um, you know, I again, I think sometimes in maybe larger churches or larger cities, um, you can have um, a dynamic where age groups kind of cling together. And I love the diversity that comes with being in a smaller church setting or even a smaller town setting where um, my children are being raised around people of all ages. Mm. And um, even in the, in the small town, ours is a little different because it's about 70, 75% Hispanic, but um, a diverse mm-hmm. congregation has been refreshing as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, that dynamic there has been really sweet to see that uh, our kids are having conversations with people that, you know, realistically, I mean, here in the next few decades, they're going to probably be attending their funeral. Mm-hmm. And I think that's impactful and mm-hmm. important for children to see that sometimes get... Uh, in the big city, we would have probably just been hanging out with people our yeah. age. Yeah, I agree. I think one of the things I experienced, and this is maybe a little anecdotal and and might not be true in all small town settings, but I think people in small town USA are really hardworking, committed people. Yes. And when they when they buy into anything, they're in. Yes. If it's the high school, uh, if it's the football team. If it's the Rotary Club, if it's the church, there is a an eagerness to commit and to be involved and to be active that I don't think you always see. You don't always see that level of commitment or that eagerness to commit in larger communities. Mm-hmm. Um, I certainly experienced that in, in Kingfisher. And added to that, uh, this may cut both ways. There's a lot of people in small-town USA who are proud of their little town. Oh yeah, and people in a big city tend to look down on little communities mm-hmm. and see the the negatives. 
But a lot of folks who live in small town USA like it, and they're proud of it, and they want to see their community prosper and thrive. Uh, that's a that's a good thing. That's a valuable yes. thing to have people who are glad to be where they are, want to be where they are, embrace where they are, and want to see flourishing yeah. in their community. And I think that that's important because uh, they're there on purpose, mm. you know, like they're there intentionally. And I think one of the things that I've learned, too, is they want to see that they have a pastor who's there on mm. purpose, like not just there to jump, skip, and a hop. Yeah. And, that, and that really has been... I mean, it was a part of our decision-making process and going there yeah, uh, and talking with them to say, we know that e- even the things that do need to be changed there have developed over decades. And if you're coming in to just kind of get build a resume and you're just going to add to the problem, if, you, if you're really wanting to make long impact and gospel change, then it has to be there to be there on purpose. Yeah, I think, it's a, I think it's a totally reasonable expectation for those people to say, look, we're all in here in yep. this church, in this community, and we want you to be all in. Exactly. Tell me the worst part, or some of the worst yeah, parts I mean, of pastoring in a small community. Yeah, no, I mean, you know, here's the thing. Like, we we moved uh, about six to eight months, which was part of the plan of my interview process. I mean, I made it very clear that, you know, I was a part of a healthy church, and we had moved to covenant membership and doing those things. So, I mean, even when you start to make changes on that kind of level, foundationally, of what's going to um, establish who we are as a church and clearly based upon belief and based upon conviction and direction it will have ripple effects Mm. i could have probably met with the other pastors first before we made those decisions and kind of given them a heads up but other pastors in the community other pastors who were before you uh, who else i don't know that before me but maybe in the in the um because uh in, in the community because i think that in some regards um it, it kind of made ripples okay. in the community. The fact say, that you are raising expectations at your church yes. and covenant membership, what you're asking people to think about when they think about church membership, mm-hmm. that then has ripple effects in the community at other churches. Yes. How so? Um, because they're in a small town, there kind of becomes this, again, the community is this place where almost— the uh, the community and the church are, are tied at the hip. Mm. And so you kind of have this culture of, well, I'm going to be at this church for a while, and this is where God has me, but if my feelings get hurt or any of those mm. things, instead of maybe growing or spiritually maturing, I'm going to just go to this next place. Or based upon this church has this new pastor, so yeah. we're going to go where, where the crowd is, yeah. instead of actually discipling and growing, yeah. and um, which is a challenge. And you know, it was strange to me growing up in Amarillo, a larger town, not a big town, but a larger town, Love Amarillo. Oh, it's a, such a cool town. Oh, so cool. I knew people that left our church, but they all went to other Baptist churches. Mm-hmm. And when I lived in Kingfisher, we had people that left our church or joined our church, but the denominational differences almost felt flattened out by the small community. Yep. And that people, to me, it was a big deal to go from the Methodist Church to the Baptist Church or the Lutheran Church to the Baptist Church or the Catholic Church to the Baptist Church. It should but be. <laughs> to a lot of people in a small community, it was just one option among many, and the differences were, I hate to say ironed out, but again, that community identity overrode some of the church identity and the church distinctiveness. So that's a strange dynamic that kind of takes place in a small town. It is, and that's where we're trying to really kind of refresh and reteach our people on that, to where... 
Uh, so for some reason, we thought that leveling those things out was going to help the church, and I think we're seeing as a nation as a whole, I mean, in, in towns across, that that kind of discipleship just doesn't work because it doesn't uh, leave the distinctness of the gospel or yeah. conviction on how that you practice your faith. Yeah. And that it's okay to have different convictions sure. based upon God's Word. And I, don't, sure. and I think that comes from a place where a lot of people, again, especially in the South, they love the idea of the Bible. They love to have it on their shelf. They love to talk about the Bible, but when it comes to actually reading it and then being shaped by it, uh, they like the idea of being it shaping a community versus shaping them. Yeah, yeah, know? very different, very, yeah. very different. Yeah. Uh, one of the things I thought about as uh, a negative is just the... Sometimes in a small town, you have generations that have stayed in that community. You have families that have been there for so long. They've developed very, very tight, close relationships with others. I, I hate to use the word click because I don't, I want to give people the benefit of the doubt. I don't think there is an intention right, no. to be clickish. No. But sometimes, you know, like for me and my family, we went to a small town, we were outsiders. There are certain circles in a small town that you're not ever going to be part of. Right. And that's true if you're a new pastor or if you're a new school teacher mm-hmm. who moves to town. And again, I don't think there was any malice or intent to exclude people. Mm-hmm. It's just a function of small town, multi-generation. People have been around each other for so long. There's a closeness. There's a tightness. There's a an, an level of intimacy that can be hard when you're new to town to break into, and it looks like clickishness. Right. It looks like that's the in crowd in town, and I'm not ever going to be part of it. Right. I don't. That's hard. Yeah. In a small community. Well, I think that's where again the distinction of the local church belonging in a community is so important because that's where the world and the church meet, and I think that's where a lot of small towns can be blind to that reality. They think that that's just a big city thing, but it's a reality wherever you find humans. Yeah. Uh, and so for us, knowing that, that's why having a, um, our belonging, belonging number first and foremost to the Lord and His calling, but then also understanding that the people that we need to be closest and tightly knit to are is our local church. So a lot of people ask about that dynamic, but I'm really, it's not really on my radar. Yeah. Uh, God's calling me there to be a part of that church and that group of people. And so trying to fit in or trying to find that, we I don't have that conviction that that's the best way we're going to influence people mm. um, is by, is by that. I think the more distinctive we are, not to the extent to where all of our walls are up, um, but that all of our walls are up in such a way that we, to where people, when they look at us, say the only reason really why they are gathered together is because of Jesus, because it doesn't make sense to us why else they're together. Yeah. And so that's been really a challenge because you talk about those clicks and those connections. Whenever something's happening, like praise the Lord, I mean, by His grace and His Spirit and His Word, He is uh, changing and growing our people and challenging them, and I'm growing. I mean, we're all growing together. It's it's wonderful these last two years, but you'll have people come in the door because they hear about those things, but then our members know them, and they've known them for years, and they automatically want to take that authority and say, oh, hey, trust me, they're good people. We're going to let them. Oh, they're a member. Yeah. And instead of saying, no, 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 I know that you know them and those kind of things, but what do they believe? Yeah. Because what we believe is what holds us together. And that's where the rub comes, and trying to get them to see that that's a loving thing and a yeah. caring thing. I think it's almost a... Uh Rather than scold people for cliquishness or tight-knit groups or exclusivity or things like that, rather than make people feel bad about that, you almost just want to take it for what it is and and refocus it. Yeah, on, that's it. You know, rather than this small, tight-knit community group that you've identified with or this, 
you know, power group or this socioeconomic group in a community mm-hmm. that you feel so tied to. We want to make that sort of feeling with your covenant church family, with right. the people who are are part of this church family. And that you're right, it takes time. It's not going to happen in a week. It's no. not going to happen in a year. It's not going to happen if the leader's mindset is that he's there for a little while and he wants to leave. Right. It's got to it's got to require some commitment there and, for and sure. I want to give a shout out. I mean, the pastor I serve, Josh Light at First Baptist Church, pastor there is one of the most, I mean, just incredible hidden gems, and uh, he's been there for I think nine years now in Fort Stockton. In, uh, sorry, sorry, in at First Baptist Church Panhandle. Oh, okay, so he, he was my, I served alongside him and um and the role where Isaiah is at right now for the last or three years before I came, but. Uh, something he always just reiterated was, hey, even if we get to this place where we think we've grown, he's like, you know, the work doesn't just stop. And that's where, again, we talk about consumerism and church membership. It can come into our own yeah. uh, pastoral mindset to say, how can I just get this done so that we can keep moving on instead of saying, no, this is the work that we're called to. And yeah. a reality that means that uh, there's going to be kickback, there's going to be hard conversations, there's going to be moments of wonderful conversations. I mean, that's just, and that, like you said, there is no just kind of end game to that. That's You've got decades and decades yeah, of that yeah. being built up. That's good that you had that example. I think one challenge in a small town, uh, you can agree or disagree with this. Uh, in a small town, everybody knows everything going on in that town. That's maybe a cultural marker of small town life. Everybody's kind of in everybody's business, and you hear what's happening here or there or everywhere. In a big community, you can have trouble at a church and everyone in town might not know about it. And you may have people who are willing to come check you out at some point in time. They don't have a preconceived bias about who your church is. In a smaller community, some of those preconceived ideas about a church can be hard to overcome. Not impossible to overcome, but if people in that community have heard over and over, oh, well, that church Mm -hmm. had this drama, this issue, this problem— that's a hurdle, and it's it's a higher hurdle to overcome in a small community, I think, than it typically would be in a larger community. 100%, because um, at one time in Fort Stockton, First Baptist Church was the church, mm. and it was kind of the mecca. So you have, from what I've heard, up to five 600 people. I mean, the church building size shows it's one of the biggest buildings in town, which mm. has been its, its own challenge. But, the, uh, but then you have years of splits and people leaving, and then they go and they start their own church in town. And so you just, the longer I'm there, the more I kind of see the ripple effects of some of those things that have taken place and why they happened. And to some degree, they were um, well-intentioned and they had good reason. And so, yeah, I mean, there are even people who were once a part of our church and left, and they've even said to me or to other members that they love the idea of where our church is going, but they still can't think about covenanting Mm. with some of the people who are still in the church that I don't know anything about (laughs) what happened there. Yeah, and or or sometimes it's not even people; it's just history of a building. Yes, it's a memory yes. of a place that some people just say, "I cannot get over that because such and such happened to me, or such and such happened to my mom." That can be hard yeah. in a small town. Yes. It can well, it can be tough. And we have some of our, uh, for the most part, our core membership has been so supportive and, and excited about what God's doing. But there are some that say, you know, they're kind of the ones who, whose grandparents have names on plaques and the walls still in there, and they're saying. Um, and you're trying to preach through the, God's Word and trying to reestablish with them the thing that makes you belong to this group of people is Jesus Christ, not that name on the plaque. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's an important thing because that mentality there is what can breed those kind of situations yeah. you know, for people. So wrap it all up, put a bow on it, and tell me 
if you sat down to have lunch with a new first-time pastor of a regular church in a small town, and a guy is not a small-town guy, he doesn't know what he's walking into in a small town community. Mm-hmm. Give him, give him four or five things uh, that he needs to think about. Four or five pieces of advice that you think would be helpful for a guy walking in to a regular church, regular pastor, small town. Well, I'd say before that, during the interview process, I would ask as many questions as you can and make sure that the search committee or whoever's doing the hiring of you. Uh, is representing the, the the body well? Okay. Because you could have people that you think are representing the body, but they only represent a small portion. Do your homework. Yes. Number one. Okay, I agree yeah. with that. And be and I would be very clear during that uh, uh, on your expectations and what uh, it's going to look like, and the desire that you have, and the direction that the church is going to go. Be honest and upfront Don't about try to what hide. you want to do. Yes, Don't smoke and mirrors. Don't try to bait and switch. That kind of just tell them. So then you know, as you go in, you know, as we make changes, I try to say that every time to say, this is not something that we didn't talk about yeah. when we first came here. So number one, do your homework on them. Mm-hmm. Number two, be honest with them up front about your plans for direction. Yes. What else? Um, you know, something that I did, I haven't um, done very well and I'm growing in. And I know that when Josh, my former pastor was talking to the search committee is something he, he never told me that he said this, but I know that this is something that he said to them. Cause I'm learning this about myself as well. More and more is that, uh, I, I have be, be a little more thick skinned. Mm. And so, uh, when people are doing that, sometimes they're taking things out on you that it's not even about you. Mm. Uh, but you can take it. And I mean, I've had some sleepless nights and mm. not understanding why they don't. From criticism, rejection, pushback, mm-hmm. people who leave, they don't like the direction you're going, that kind of stuff. Yes, yeah. So being just being a little more gracious and trying to understand where they're coming from, whether they stay or not. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I had we had a gentleman who came in and, you know, he moved his membership when we moved in that direction to covenant membership. And so learning to say, hey, brother, praise the Lord that you're at a church where you feel like what you believe. Moved and, it away from your church. Yes, away from, yeah. to, to another church in town. But then to say, and then trying to affirm what we say, saying, well, then grow, set roots there. You have your pastor that you know is going to be shepherding you. Yeah. You know, lock arms with those people and grow because that's our heart for you, whether yeah. that be here or somewhere else. So, I like it. Anything else? I think that, uh, again, being clear and taking your time hmm. um, with doing things and understanding, like we have been talking about almost the whole time, just saying not all this is going to change overnight. Yeah. And that it's 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 Christ Church. Yeah. And that's what I love about whenever we sit down, and I'm trying to get our people to see that, uh, who, who maybe still be on the fence, but that, you know, our church um, was founded in 1906, mm-hmm. and it was here long before I got here, yeah. and Lord willing, if we shepherd it well, it'll be here long after, and that's the goal, and trying to be clear on those things and not say, you know, trying to build Warren's kingdom, and sometimes yeah. it can seem like that, or sometimes you can be so passionate and driven that it kind of becomes that, Yeah, and uh, I have to remember that, Yeah, uh, and I like that. get some help. Uh, get someone on the shoulder of the burden. I mm. mean, seven months in, I'm so thankful that the Lord brought uh, Pastor Isaiah mm-hmm. uh, Shaq in. Yeah, and if you don't have that, pray for it. Look yes. for it. Yes. Train somebody to do it. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah, ask the, and ask the church to come alongside uh, you and doing that and praying yeah. for those things. Yeah. I, th- I like all of that. I think I would add to a guy going to a, a small town, this is going to look different every small community uh, it's going to look different based on a pastor's personality, but you have to find a way to be connected in the community beyond your church. 
because that small town identity is so strong, Mm -hmm. you got to buy into that to some degree, not in the excessive, maybe even at times idolatrous sense Mm -hmm. of misplaced identity, Right. but you got to belong. And if the football team is a big deal, you got to go. Or if the Rotary Club's a big deal, you got to be involved. Or if the Ministerial Alliance is a big deal, you got to play along, even if you have to kind of hold your breath and do it. Uh, but you've got to find a way to be part of the community. You've got to have that Ezekiel exilic mindset of seeking the good of the place that the Lord has sent you. And rather than just sort of sit back and criticize all the things that are easy to criticize in a small town, you got to you got to be involved. You got to yeah. you got to participate. You got to be visible. Um, people expect that of you, and and I don't think it's entirely unreasonable. Uh, for a pastor to say, look, I'm going to try my best to love not just these people, but this place and to mm-hmm. be to be committed and to be involved in what's going on here. I think that goes a long way for folks in a small town. Yeah. There you go. Well, I'm excited that the Lord has brought you on this meandering journey to West Texas. <laughs> uh, I'm excited that the Lord has brought Isaiah alongside to help for you to invest in him and for him to invest in your people. And uh, I'm excited for FBC Fort Stockton. You guys, we talked a little bit about uh, COVID and how you guys have come through that and are coming through that, and God's doing some good things. And uh, I'm excited to see how the Lord continues to use you guys and use your church uh, just down the road out in Fort Stockton. So good stuff. Praise the Lord. And I'll just add this one last thing. I mean, having other pastors like my former pastor staying in connection with them, seeking as, and having connections like with you. Mm. And I praise the Lord for pastors like you that, uh, you know, even in the big city in the middle of those things are willing to go get coffee with guys, you know, uh, like you said, regular pastors, just meeting go. and being real. And so those are all very important things. Yeah, I think it's good. Very yeah. good. Thanks for coming on yep. and uh, glad we were able to get together. And uh, next time you're over here in the big city, I'll uh, I'll buy you a cup of coffee or lunch. I think I owe you. I think you've bought like my last several. I don't know. Well, maybe I need to come to Fort Stockton and we need to visit uh, Mika Sita. That's right. Get one of those smothered burritos. Sounds good. Sounds fantastic. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of the Regular Pastor Podcast. Uh, Big thanks to Corporate slash Mika Sita, our wannabe sponsors. At least we want them to be our sponsor. Uh, Be sure to check us out online, regularpastor.com. If you know a regular pastor who we ought to talk to on the podcast, uh, let us know. We'd love to chat with them, love to visit with them. Uh, If you have complaints or constructive criticism, please forward it to the Ministerial Alliance, Fort Stockton, USA. They would love to hear from you and would field all of your complaints uh, and resolve those to your satisfaction. I think the address is First Presbyterian Church. (laughs) Oh my goodness, I'm not cutting that out. That's staying in. Until next time, this is The Regular Pastor, out.